Well, hello there, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Sobriety Uncensored, episode 44. Jenna, can you believe it? 44. I can't. No. What's happening? What's I happening? don't know. Pretty soon we're going to be up to a year date. What was our first episode? Halloween? Um, it, If you give me a second, I'll throw it up to the... <laughs> You'll throw on. it up. <laughs> our very first episode, episode one. Oh, look, I'm playing 41 on my phone as we speak. Oh, okay. I don't know. Chat amongst yourselves. I'll tell you. It was October 20th. October 10, 20th. 20. 1020. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Spindrift, very much for making this come to life at Drink Spindrift on social, spindrift.com. And you can scream sobriety uncensored, all one word, all caps to get 20% off. And uh, so to your door, to your door. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm great. How are you, Daniel? I'm hanging in there. I'm just, you know, powering through another week. We got to keep things moving, keep things positive. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll keep it fresh. We're not going to make this about our journal entries as we were talking about at the end of last week, but wah, we do wah. Wah, wah. But we have a very, very special guest. This is someone I've been looking forward to speaking with for a long time. Somebody that I've been mm-hmm. following on social media for a long time. Somebody that actually, want, we have a mutual friend, which we'll get to in a minute, but um, Celeste Devon is here and and welcome. Say hello to everybody. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Jenna. Uh, I can't Hi. believe it. It's almost been a year for you guys with this podcast because I remember when you first announced it on TikTok. And I was like, that that's cool, but that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And here you guys are almost a year later. I know. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And you know, you're our third guest. We take our guests very seriously. We're Um, very selective. Very selective about our guests, even though you know we're just a mom and pop shop, but we're super excited to. to have you here. And um, before we get into your new book that's coming out, which I'm really excited for for you to to take the big stage, although you've had a big stage for a while, you're, you have a, an immense following and I respect it. And I think it's well-deserved. I just wanted to hear if you can give our listeners a little bit about you, background about you, who you are and your relationship with alcohol. Yeah, uh, I, uh, where do I start? I had a fairly normal childhood considering my dad was an alcoholic, but, you know, I spent most of my life kind of assuring everybody, especially myself, that I would never follow that path. And um, instead, I kind of went different directions where I was, I started with eating disorders and really toxic relationships and just a horrible um, self-esteem issues. And um, when as I got older and my drinking escalated, mm-hmm. um, it really came to a head when I became a mom uh, because it wasn't sustainable. I couldn't drink the way I wanted to drink and still parent the way I wanted to parent. And I really had this come to Jesus moment where I was like, I have to pick, you right. know, and I saw my dad and what he seemingly picked for so long, which I now know wasn't nearly that simple, but, um, I, I'm not going to go down that road. And what occurred to me is it was so much easier to not drink than to try to moderate and drinking and parenting just do not mix, not the way I drink. Right. 
So I had to make a choice. <laughs> Not the way I drink. You drink to completion. Is that is that what, what I take? You you go. Yeah, big or I mean, I, yeah, and honestly, like I don't. If you were to say, you know, here's a glass of wine you will not break your sober date. You know, it's a freebie. I don't even want it. Like, that's not how I want to drink. I, I need at least a couple glasses. I need to numb out. Um, that's how I enjoyed drinking. It's always how I've always enjoyed drinking. So when it finally occurred to me that it's actually easier to not drink at all than it is to try to moderate Uh, I got my life back and I found so much freedom in it because for the first year or so of my sobriety, I felt like I was the world's biggest victim and everyone's out to get me. Uh, And now, you know, I feel just opposite. I feel like I have gotten my power back uh, and freedom from sobriety, which is a message that I try to share with people because Growing up with a father who is an alcoholic who felt like he was a victim and he treated that label like um, it's not his fault. You know, he was born like this. It's such a different mindset to go into sobriety feeling like this is my this is my source of power. Mm -hmm. But it took me a while to get there. Yeah, well, that's so well said about the victimhood. What did that look like for you in the early stages of your sobriety when you talk about that? Like feeling left out, like poor me, I can't do yes. this, it's not fair. Um, my friends suck. <laughs> why, <laughs> why, why me? You know, I, I used to say, you know, I feel like I lost my adult card and I've been forced to sit back at the kids' table. That's what it felt like for the first year at least, that um I was this victim who um, miss who's missing out on all the fun and everybody else gets to have a good time except for me. And I have to do this for the rest of my life. Like that's not fair. Uh, but that, that really was my mindset for, for a while. And how did you start to take back your control or, you know, like of, of that mindset, what shifts for you? Did you shed some friendships? Did you make new friendships? Cause you're very, it's funny when when you, when you talk to someone like yourself or when I talk to somebody like yourself who you have such a huge footprint, you know, on on the news on social media and your writing and your emails are just tremendously well written, so much depth there. Like you own that shit. Like you definitely own your mm-hmm. story. So how does where did you decide to start being more verbal and vocal and sharing part of it? Is that how you took back your power? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. I was Probably I was about 11 months sober and kind of still in this mindset that this is my secret to carry. Uh, This is my shame to carry. And this will always be my shame to carry. Even as I saw my life growing in sobriety, my parenting, I mean, leveled up a hundred times through sobriety. And so many good things were coming from my sobriety, but I still was sitting in this pool of victimhood. and. Uh, when it, in, it was in November, because my sober date's December, I was 11 months sober. And I was in a share thread with other women writers talking about things that they were proud of. Like, let's just you, take this time to everybody share something you're doing right now that you're proud of. And one of my writer friends, uh, who I respected and adored, posted, I'm six weeks sober. And I'm so freaking proud. And the light bulb moment I had that 
oh my God, this is something we're allowed to be proud of Mm -hmm. was so transformative that it changed everything. You know, I had been writing about motherhood for a few years at that point. Um, I had garnered a following, but I never told a soul about this outside of, you know, the four walls of my home about my sobriety, because I spent so much of my life believing that was something that was a family secret. That was the source of shame from my own father's experience. So when I saw my friend say it in a way that was like, this is really cool. I'm proud of this. It just gave me a new way to look at it. And I posted too on that thread. I said, I never thought of it this way, but I guess I'm really proud of the fact that I'm 11 months sober. And from that point, I started sharing, you know, in bits and pieces mm-hmm. to my following. Like at my one year soberversary is the first time I posted that I'm actually one year sober, everybody. Surprise. Mm-hmm. I had a drinking problem. Surprise. <laughs> um, and so I even what was said, your? I'm sorry. What was your sober community? Like, did you have a sober community or were you just kind of did it on your own and just kind of kept it to yourself? Yeah. So I'd say my first year sober, it was uh, me kind of white knuckling it in a lot of ways. Uh, I only told two people, my mom and my husband. And um, I I really just focused eye on the prize, which was one day at a time, um, abstain, 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 and then really working to fill this new time. You get a lot of time back. Oh, yeah with things that felt fulfilling to me. Um, So it is totally a different style journey than I would encourage people to go. uh, If I were to, if I were to go back, I would have done things a lot differently, but in the early days, my understanding was there was only one way to recover. Mm -hmm. And that's how my dad did it. And it didn't work. And I'm not going to do what my dad did. Cause you know, I've already said like, I'm not going down that path. Um, and I've also seen, I saw so many years of him going to these meetings, coming back with chips, all while drinking, you know, all while, you know, putting on this act. And it left me very angry um, with him, with the meetings, with the labeling. Uh, and I didn't. I wasn't ready to go there. Uh, you know, I met with somebody in the first couple of months. My mom encouraged me to talk to somebody who was in recovery. And so I did. I went to coffee with this person and she said, here's what you got to do. You know, you got to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And from the moment she said that, she lost me because I was like, I am a mom of a one and a three-year-old. You know, I am the default parent. How the hell am I supposed to take my kids with me to 90 meetings at night? It, like I was, it pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back now, I know a lot of people figure it out and they do it. But at the time I was like, there is no effing way that I am stopping the entire world. So little poor old me, can go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I I think I just was like, I'm going to do this a different way. And I did, you know, I figured it out as I went along and Mm -hmm. it, and it worked, it wound up working out, but um, 
were the support systems in place from day one? Absolutely not. <laughs> did you did you have any hesitation? Because um, I know part of my journey is that I didn't start sharing about being sober for until about two years ago. And, and uh, because I work in education and I was really had carved out a niche in the education space and speaking to schools and student bodies and everything. And I was horrified and petrified and paralyzed by like losing credibility or having people second guess any piece of advice I had ever given. And since you had already built this following on sort of your common social commentary about motherhood, did you feel afraid that it would affect that following and how they would react to the news? And how did they react to the news? I was terrified. Uh, it was totally outside of you know my my topics that I covered. It was outside this personality that I have uh, put out there for the world. Um, I was I was afraid people would be embarrassed or ashamed, or I would be embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, but I put this first message out there uh, at one year and just the response was so positive and um, kind and loving uh, that it made me again think this isn't something to hide from or be ashamed of. If anything, people need to hear more like this uh, because this is the truth. This is the raw truth of motherhood um, that most people don't talk about, uh, but I, I was so sucked into, to the point where I didn't, I didn't know there was another way to do this. And I'm so glad I have found it. So from that point, I did start dabbling a little bit more and talking about it a little more openly. And, um, generally it was super well-received occasionally. Um, you know, I got some pretty cold hearted messages, but, I guess it goes with the territory. Um, I've really learned to build a thick skin over the years. Yeah, I'm working on that. Jenna has that dialed in. If you need any advice on thick skin, (laughs) Jenna has that thing figured out. I am not so, I'm not so tough in that department. Um, What's the secret, Jenna? I I don't know. It's, 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 I don't think there is any secret. Maybe just not giving a shit anymore about what people think Mm -hmm. of me or my life or my circumstances. And I guess there's an element of um, knowing that you have good intentions. And if someone can't wrap their brain around that, then that's, that's a them problem. I think that's Mm -hmm. a, a big part of it. And being a nurse doesn't hurt, I think. It's a very thick-skinned profession. Absolutely. Um, the fact people, some people think that it's the tenderness in us that makes us want to be the, a nurse. And that's not really how it goes down. <laughs> 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 but I'm not always thick-skinned. I do have my tender moments. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think anytime you're dealing with the general public, there's always those slippery ones that that climb in and try to bash, you know, just for the sake of bashing someone. It's, it's a little disheartening, but. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen you toe up, square up with some pretty big names. I've seen you stitch some pretty big names um, in the mommy wine culture. And so you're certainly not afraid to, to double down on your message. Where does that confidence come from? I have no idea. Because <laughs> at home, I am as sensitive as a flower. Um, but I think 
I kind of, I am able to disassociate my personal life from my social media life in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. where I don't take the commentary on social media as seriously as I would uh, if somebody was telling it to my face. Right. Um, Because I think a lot of the things people say to me on social media are things they would never say to someone's face. Oh, God, no. Yeah. But yeah, TikTok is his own animal. Um, the, the worst comments I've ever received have absolutely been on TikTok. But, you know, I've been stung with all the social medias um, in some way, shape or form. Um, I think the difference, though, is on Facebook or Instagram, they um, they put it in like a compliment sandwich. <laughs> right. And try to pass it off as... Um, like I, I, I just, you know, I, I just want to look after the children. <laughs> well, so. if there's two things people are passionate about, it's parenting and sobriety. I mean, you know, recovery and all their different methods and their ideas. And um, can you talk a little bit about specifically, um, like, if you're comfortable talking about the ages of your kids when you got sober and uh, the progression of your, you you said something about when you became a mom, things started to really ramp up for you. Can you give us a little bit more on that? Yeah. Uh, so I'm five and a half years sober. Uh, I quit drinking when my kids were age one and three, uh, which is really such a, just such a physically hard time to be a parent. Uh, sleep is off. Um, we were starting at that time, we were starting to see behavior issues um, from our three-year-old, uh, that were red flags. And, um, actually that was one of my convincing moments, uh, that I, I needed to make a change was because we were having these phone calls from school, uh, from, you know, his daycare and saying, you know, he's having these aggression issues, defiance issues. So we went to the doctor and I was like, what do we do? You know, these are the issues we're having. What can we do to fix this? And the doctor says, you know, we're, it's going to have to be a wait and see approach. And I was like, I am not leaving this doctor's office without something, anything to take away that will make me feel like we can go take this in a different direction. And he said to me, he said, well, Kids like this need structure. They need a safe environment and they need routine. And I mean, he might as well just punch me in the gut because I was like, I am not offering him any of that with my drinking right now. Like no structure, no safe environment, Mm -hmm. no routine. If there is anything I need to be doing right now, it's be changing the way I'm doing this because I'm not giving him any of those three. Um, So that was a huge defining moment for me Um, and top, top with my husband who at the time was fighting depression, um, which again was pulling structure and routine from, from our family um, every day. I knew that the only thing I could do at this time was something to my, for myself Mm -hmm. and hopefully the, the waves will trickle to everybody else. Um, so a, a lot of things kind of added up for me to hit this point where I was like, I have to do something and it has to be right now. And 
that felt like because it was it was the only thing I had control over. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. But yeah, those those courageous conversations in the doctor's office when they're speaking to you and and maybe they know or maybe they don't, but you just feel like, oh man, like this is the like yeah. gut punch. Gut yes. punch. Well, like when you feel that th- twist in your stomach and you're it's like shame and guilt and the person you're talking to, or they probably have no idea that you're feeling like this, but mm-hmm. it's just this heart-wrenching, like, oh my God, this yeah. is my fault. <laughs> and maybe it's not all my fault, but it's there's certainly things I could be doing better right now. Right. So would so, you oh go ahead, Jenna? I was just gonna ask, did you do a one and done attempt at sobriety, or what was your process from there? Yeah. So I, it was about a month later uh, after that doctor visit that um, I had a panic attack at work. I walked into work, sat down on my computer and I hadn't even drank all that much that weekend, but it was one of the holiday weekends where there was like three parties in a row, alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. And then Monday morning um, I get into work and, you know, I'm shaking and I'm sweating and my heart's racing. And my father had a stroke at age 52 from his drinking and my head immediately went there. Like I I'm having a stroke. Like Mm -hmm. I am. And if it goes the same way it went for my father, I'm either going to die or I'm going to be physically disabled for the rest of my life. And I'm going to leave my family um, in this horrible place where they don't have a mother or a capable mother who can, take care of her, take care of them the way I want to take care of them. I have to do something about this right now. And I, I was so scared shitless. I just, I quit that day. And I was like, I will figure this out over time. Hmm. And, um, I think one of the things that really pushed me, uh, to stay sober, especially in those early days was the day tracker, the day count. I never have to do day one again. Okay. Mm -hmm. I never have to do week one again. And I just kept going there. It was very uh, motivating for me to know that if I just stay this course, uh, I never have to feel those awful feelings I felt in the early days ever again. And Mm -hmm. that really pushed me through in the beginning. Absolutely. What inspired you to, I want to move on and talk a little bit about, your, not a little bit, I want to know about your new book that you you have coming out. And when when is the release date? And can you tell us about that book? Yeah, it comes out September 12th, anywhere books are sold. Um, it's available for pre-order. And um, it's called, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. And I, I told this story uh, in part, it's a part memoir, part research, and part storytelling from other women I've talked to. Um, but it's, it comes from a place as somebody who used to write the mommy needs wine jokes. You know, I, I wasn't just, you know, somebody who liked to consume them and share them. I was somebody who helped write them and, um, help post them and Mm -hmm. help make that part of a narrative. I was a perpetrator in every way. Um, and seeing, just how problematic that messaging can be, not just for moms who are in the thick of it, like I was when my kids were one and three, but um, for our children. I, as a daughter of an alcoholic, like to think that this is the message we are sending to children, that uh, they're the reason we need to drink, um, just 
makes me feel sick. So mm. um, it really is kind of, it's a, a book telling stories about not only how we got here, where mothers are drinking more than ever, especially since the pandemic. I mean, the stats are frightening. Um, how many people turn to alcohol to cope, but how to get out of it. You know, there's so much bigger things at play when it comes to motherhood and the increased use in alcohol, uh, when it comes to the mental load and lack of support uh, systemically and at the corporate level, these are the things we should be having conversations about. And when we just laugh it off um, as a mommy needs wine joke, we're missing an opportunity to really have these bigger conversations and invoke change systemically. Right. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. I'd like to see. Um, you know, I've been in the corporate world for 20 years and it's such an unsustainable position for mothers because uh, in so many ways it was not, it was never designed for mothers or a mother's schedule. Um, and that needs to change if we're going to continue uh, accommodating and being inclusive about um, more women in the workplace. And that's what I'd like to see change. Mic drop. Absolutely. It's not mommy <laughs> needs wine, mommy needs support and mommy needs equity, you know, and, and access yes. to resources and, and a, more of a 50, 50 burden where it comes. And Jenna, you used to use alcohol as an energizer. You talk about mm. that a lot. And Celeste, was that your, was that how you used uh, wine, like to, to get things done or what was it? What was it like for you? Yeah, I think in motherhood, it was my opportunity to relax and chill while also still multitask. Like I felt like I was being such a good mom because look at me, I can take a break and still fold laundry. Right. Like, how cool is that? Uh, where, what? I see now is drinking is such an easy way for me to kind of stay small and uh, numb out from what was clearly building resentment and anger and frustration at so many things. Mm -hmm. um, but it was an easy way to hide from those feelings without feeling like I was being a burden or that I was being a bad mom or um, that. I was, I could still be the nice girl, you know, and, and drink to my heart's content. And people mm -hmm. liked me when I drank because I stayed small and quiet. Right. Yeah. I think oh. there's a, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Jenna. Um, you're talking about being in the corporate world and there's such a um, large portion of mommy wine culture that is stay-at-home moms, which is a job in and of itself. But um, that was a big element for me was uh, as a nurse, I have an unusual schedule and I may have several days off during the week and pile on hours on, you know, three consecutive days, let's say, and I have four days off in a row. Um, and that was when it really would uh, accelerate for me in those chunks of time when I head off. So, and it's such a, it's, a, it's so, it's a, such a difficult thing to talk to other moms who that that's their livelihood is socializing with moms. And then they get out the recipe for a 
cocktail, you know, a little afternoon cocktail. You're doing it. So, so am I, you know, it's permission, it's victimization on ourselves. Like I have it so hard, um, all those things, but um, there's another whole element. Uh, what I'm saying is there's a whole, a whole nother element with uh, stay at home moms mm. that they, the release or the, um, what I used to do on those days off is what you're describing. Like let's, let's make the mundane and repetitive and boring tasks that come along with running a household and being a mom. Let's make them a little fun, more fun. You know, let's get your music on and get your cocktail going and we'll make it your own little party. And that that's not normal. (laughs) It's not, and it's not okay. It's not, what your kids should be exposed to or what they should have. They deserve a sober mom. They deserve an engaged and committed mom, not someone who wants to waste away the mundane with substance use, you know. It's so hard because, you know, motherhood can be so deeply lonely um, and it can be really fucking boring. Um, Yeah. Hours go by. Uh, where nothing gets accomplished. Like I just, this weekend, uh, I just spent two hours at the pool throwing a beach ball to my son as he jumped in the water, two hours. (laughs) And it was the most boring moments of my life. You know, it felt like, it felt like days went by. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's lonely, it's exhausting, but you're not doing anything. You know, it's, you you feel like you're exhausted, but you have nothing to show for your work, except your child is still alive at the end of the day. And yet we're supposed to be so grateful, so blessed, mm. best days of my life. I'm, right. I'm, this is what I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be a mother. Um, and if you show any side sort of negativity or frustrations around how you're feeling, uh, you get ripped apart. Uh, Mm -hmm. you're ungrateful, you're a bad mom. And it's just this, uh, the the paradox of motherhood that it it can be really hard and challenging, but don't you dare say that out loud or you're ungrateful. So what are some of your primary coping skills now that you use to, to kind of counteract those same feelings that you had that you're not drinking and you're over five years sober. So I'm sure you have developed quite a plethora of ways to combat those feelings. Um, Can you describe some of those for us? Yeah. So after, as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, my friend Emily Paulson started a sober mom squad and I started hosting sober meetings. And that was my first experience with a sober community, believe it or not. Um, But it was such a game changer in so many ways. And now I still host uh, two meetings a week. Uh, I I run the book club. Um, We have a a group for mothers of neurodivergent children. I'm still very much a part of that community. And it's helped, I, I swear, it's helped me more than it's helped probably mm-hmm. anybody who's um, who's a member on there because uh, it's changed my life. Uh, community has changed my life. Um, and um, I'm so grateful that that's something that came out of the pandemic. Um, whereas, you know, I told you before, I was so reticent towards going to meetings when I was like, how am I supposed to stop being a mom, you know, for 60, 90, 120 minutes each day. Um, but 
when the pandemic struck or the hit and Zoom mm -hmm. uh, virtual meetings started, it changed the opportunity for mothers uh, so significantly uh, mm -hmm. for any for any parent um, responsible for uh, children during the daytime. So that was such a such a critical uh, factor uh, in recovery and the evolution of recovery work. Um, so I'm so grateful for those meetings. I'm so um, empowered by not only getting to be a participant, but getting to be a host. Um, and that's a huge tool in my toolkit now. Um, but I also, you know, with the time I've gotten back um, from not drinking and the, the mental load of alcohol that is so all consuming, I, I've gotten to, you know, be an avid marathon runner and I go to orange theory and uh, I'm so much more present for my kids, but there's just so many things I do now that take care of myself in a way that in early motherhood, I felt like a good mother wouldn't take time to do. Mm. So even just my mindset around what it means to be a good mom has changed in sobriety. And that's part of um, how I stay sober is taking care of myself and putting myself first, which um, in the past, I probably wouldn't have defined as a good mom, but now I define it as the most important thing I can do to be a good mom. Yeah, it's that put your oxygen mask on first exactly. theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is so much, um, unfortunately, and Daniel, I'm so sorry to dismiss you you fathers out there, but it's we're not, having a mom talk here yeah, today. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, our peers can pressure us so much to to make motherhood motherhood the primary piece of our identity. And um, I've always, alcoholic or not, one thing that I wanted, because I had kids a little later in my mid-30s, and um, I always spoke of motherhood not being my only piece of my identity. And that's not always well-received. Mm -hmm. You know, some people find that um, selfish or... Uh, self-centered and it's like I'm building on what you're saying if you are confident in who you are as a person not a mom not a professional not an author not a wife a daughter but at you your own self that trickles out it, you know it's that um, ripple effect to everything else so if what defines me as if if the main part of who I am is being an addict that's going to ripple out to everything else. But if if I am kicking ass and I am a recovery, you know, someone in recovery, and there's so many other things that define me, then everything else falls into place too. Just to build on what you're saying, like there is so much pressure for your motherhood to be your identity. Mm -hmm. And and the unfortunate reality of that and what you said earlier about people say, oh, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. It's, you know, take it all in. Well, yeah, you take it all in. And then when your kids are hopefully doing their own thing and they're their own people and they're creating their own lives, then what are you left with? You know, then what are you left with? And so 
planning for that and accepting that, that, that I agree with you that your motherhood should not be the only thing that defines the good qualities in you. Um, that's a hard thing for people to accept and to actually verbalize or, you know, yeah, because yes. you get I would imagine that you'll get the the mom shaming mm-hmm. will will we'll come out of the woodwork. Celeste, mm-hmm. I have a question about if if you we have a listener on here who is a young mom who is afraid of what's going to happen to their friendships if they stop drinking their their social circle, the dynamics. I think that's a the fear of the unknown or the reactions. I wonder if you have any insight or advice on that or what your experience was with your friendships when you stopped. Yeah. I, you know, I always say sobriety was the greatest friendship filter I ever found because your true friendships will come out of it just fine. Uh, even better. And yeah, you are going to lose some friendships, but they're only the friendships that were centered around alcohol. You know, the other question that I think I hear most often in our sober mom squad meetings is people worried about the impact on their relationship of quitting alcohol. And Dan, you probably hear this all the time on TikTok. Um, When you decide you need to change your relationship with alcohol, but your partner is not on board or they, they are not interested in changing their relationship with alcohol. What do you do? You know, Mm -hmm. It can almost feel like, and and in my own life too, like my husband and I fell in love and got married um, on events and experiences centered around alcohol. So now that I'm going to take a step back, what does this mean for our relationship? And I think in a lot of ways, my husband was thinking, I just lost my drinking buddy. Uh, And that's 100% changed over the years. But I think in the early days, it caused a lot of, conflict and uh, communication and marriage counseling to kind of work through that. Um, what What I like to tell people is if I have stayed drinking, even if my husband hadn't lost his drinking buddy, um, the amount of chaos and pain and struggle that would have been uh, inevitable through my alcohol use would have been so much more a disturber of our relationship than me quitting drinking ever was. Mm-hmm. You know, the fights that I would start, uh, the blackouts, not remembering things I did or said the night before. I mean, what a great way to have an unsustainable relationship with somebody in the long run. And if um, my husband losing his drinking buddy is the worst thing that happened uh, in my sober journey, then we are, we are doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is, you know, something I try to remind people that, you know, when you have a relationship that's centered around alcohol and one person stops this toxic cycle of drinking, it's a good thing. You know, one person might not be happy about it, but the fact that you're taking care of yourself in the end is the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jenna knows a thing or two about that. Yeah, I tried to kick my husband's ass out in the garage. It's a whole thing. It's a whole story. (laughs) (laughs) So where can people, where can people find you on social media, your website, and where can they pre-order your book? Yeah. So my handle for all the things, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook is the ultimate mom challenge. 
And you can find my book anywhere books are sold. It's called, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. And it comes out September 12th. Uh, Good talk. Good talk. I'm so glad that we got to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. And everyone, please, please grab a copy of this book. It's going to be an excellent read. And if you're not following Celeste, you need to because content is multidimensional, even as a, as a male, as a in recovery, there's so much I relate to it. Um, and again, she will square up. She, she's <laughs> feisty and tough, but gracious and, and graceful at the same time. I think it's a, a perfect balance. So I'm really proud of you, um, and the work that you're doing, and I wish you continued success and to our listeners. Thank you very much for being here and to Spindrift, our sponsor and Jenna, my lovely co-host and Daniel, my lovely co-host. I know I'm, uh, it's I'm a big fat freaking love fest. Over it's a here. big love fest over here. <laughs> um, thank you everybody. And we will see you next week with sobriety uncensored.